Welcome to Alco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Alco Farm, the Bill Gotten, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy at East Tennessee State University. Uh, today we're going to do a foundations of Alco Farm topic uh, and talk about hypercalcemia of malignancy, kind of a classic supportive care topic in an oncologic emergency we all need to be uh, well aware of. So uh, if you're a seasoned clinician, probably not a whole lot new you're going to learn from this, but if you are a trainee, certainly some useful stuff here. And we're going to do this in under 10 because that's kind of our goal is to get this calcium under 10. So what is hypercalcemia of malignancy? That is a an elevated calcium uh, in somebody with cancer and the high calcium is due to their cancer. So let's talk about hypercalcemia. In most labs, the normal calcium is like 8.5 to 10.5, or 8.4 to 10.4, somewhere out there, changes lab to lab. Just think of it as 10, okay? So anything above 10-ish, hyper, mild hypercalcemia. Above 12-ish, moderate. Above 14, severe hypercalcemia, all right? So we want to be under 10. So we're going to try to do this podcast in under 10. Uh, now, this is most common in certain types of cancer, so multimyeloma, renal cell carcinoma, some lung cancers, uh, maybe breast cancer that spread to the bone. Those are kind of the most common things. Uh, and the way these patients often present is with lethargy, um, constipation, altered mental status is a big one, and dehydration. That dehydration is key because hypercalcemia leads to nephrogenic diabetes insipidus. Something about that high concentration of calcium in the kidneys leads to, to uh, a wasting of water. And that's an important thing when we talk about how uh, we treat uh, these patients. Now, mechanistically, uh, this is interesting. There are a couple different mechanisms. This is kind of like hypercalcemia 101, so I'm going to go over the two most common. Uh, one is uh, uniquely seen in squamous cell carcinomas, whether it's of, uh, of the lung, uh, head and neck cancers, uh, you know, advanced cervical cancer. And you tend to need a pretty large disease burden of squamous cell to see this. So this is often seen in widely metastatic disease uh, with squamous cell carcinomas is an increase uh, or secretion by these squamous cell carcinomas of a parathyroid hormone-related peptide. So parathyroid hormone uh, is released by the, uh, which gland? Oh, the parathyroid gland uh, in response to hypercalcemia and causes increased or decreases um, or increased calcium resorption from the bone and increased uh, absorption of calcium uh, from the kidneys, from the gut, things like that. Now, in this case, the squamous cell carcinomas are releasing a peptide that essentially does the same thing that parathyroid hormone does without being the, the entire hormone, okay? The other, uh, and this is what we see in multimyeloma uh, and with, say, metastatic breast cancer that's spread to the bone, uh, is the cancer that is spread to the bone is releasing cytokines, the increased osteoclast activity. So it, we're starting college football season here in the United States, big time. And I'm, I'm not a big guy. So if I go to a crowded football game and um, I'm wedged in between a couple big guys, I need to spread out, right? I got I to gotta, I gotta spread out, get my shoulders wide, kind of put my feet apart so I have room, you know, to breathe. And these cancers, when they metastasize to the bone or myeloma, when it... Uh, when it ar arises from the bone, you know, the bone is a calcium phosphate matrix. It's hard. It, there's not room to grow. So the, the cancers are smarter than we are. So they release things like interleukin-6 and tumor, tumor necrosis factor alpha. And these cytokines actually uh, induce osteoclast activity to chew up that bone. Calcium goes into the blood. Calcium goes up. And there's less calcium phosphate matrix there. The bone actually gets smaller 
which and the bone sort of disappears, which means there's more room for the cancer to grow, uh, which is why bisphosphonates can slow progression of, of those cancers in the bone like myeloma bone or, or breast prostate cancer that's spread to the bone, okay? So those are the two mechanisms is direct, you know, kind of cytokine induced osteoclast uh, activity and then increased risk of parathyroid hormone related peptide. Now, no matter what causes it, treatment is kind of the same. Now, one thing that tricks up maybe some student learners is that when you look at the lab, you don't just look at the absolute calcium, especially in these patients with metastatic cancer, they have a low albumin. Calcium is highly protein bound, so you need to do the corrected calcium equation for that. I always trick up students on the exam. I always tell them it's gonna be a question on there, and they always forget to calculate that corrected calcium, uh, which is you know, your normal albumin, which is four, minus the patient's albumin, and then t multiply that by 80% and then that to the, uh, the calcium. So if somebody has a, a calcium of 12 and uh, their actual albumin is two, you take two times 80%, that's 1.6 plus 12. The corrected calcium is actually 13.6, pretty high on the moderate uh, hypercalcemia stage. All right, so the first thing you do, somebody comes in, uh, you know, the patient has metastatic cancer, they've got myeloma, metastatic breast cancer, uh, widely advanced head and neck cancer, uh, they come in and, you know, the family member says they're just not acting themselves, they're kind of hard to wake up, pretty lethargic, saying some strange things. You know, you, you see that their corrected calcium is, is 13 moderate hypercalcemia. First thing you do is IV fluids, bolus, bolus fluids, uh, and usually these patients are going to need more than just say 125, 100 mils an hour of normal selling, which would be maintenance fluids. They need more than that. You want to rehydrate them as fast as possible. Two reasons for this. One, that's going to dilute the calcium, okay? You'll see a pretty, pretty sizable decrease in calcium if they can tolerate those fluids. You know, they don't have heart failure. They can tolerate a lot of fluid. You'll dilute the calcium, your, your calcium will, will go down, and that will correct the dehydration. It's really important to correct that dehydration quickly because that's going to make it safest to deliver the most important drug to treat uh, hypercalcium malignancy, which are bisphosphonates. Now, now bisphosphonates decrease osteoclast activity, which is chewing that bone up, leading to that increased calcium. So, so bisphosphonates are really effective, denosumab really effective as well, but probably more costly than, than we need to give. Uh, it's important to note that bisphosphonates, the peak effect of their hypercalcemia is not gonna kick in for two to four days. So immediately you need those fluids to, to decrease the calcium levels, dilute that out, and also make it safer to give your bisphosphonate because the bisphosphonates are a little bit nephrotoxic, not as nephrotoxic as people think, but they are a little bit nephrotoxic. You can decrease the risk of nephrotoxicity by rehydrating them first. That nephrotoxicity of bisphosphonates appears directly related to the concentration of the bisphosphonate in the kidney. Uh, we know this from the early phase one studies of zoledronic acid. If they gave it over five minutes, there was more nephrotoxicity than if you gave it over 15 minutes. Um, so what we do in our practice, somebody comes in with elevated creatinine, or some base either from their hypercalcemia and dehydration or uh, it's pre-existing some CKD, we don't shy away from bisphosphonates. We make sure we hydrate them first and then we give an extended infusion of pomidronate. So the standard pomidronate infusion is, is two hours. Uh, we'll give it over four or six hours uh, if they have uh, nephrotoxicity uh, when they come in or an elevated creatinine. And we, you know, what we see time and time and again is you give them a four-hour infusion of pomidronate, even though their creatinine is two when they come in, uh, the next day their creatinine is lower because you've rehydrated them uh, first and then the bisphosphonate. So that's a, kind of a key thing. Fluids first 
kind of rehydrate them. And even if you need to wait, you know, six to eight hours, maybe even 24 hours to give your bisphosphonate, you can do that as long as you're not incredibly symptomatic. Now, if they are incredibly symptomatic and that their corrected calcium is above 14 and uh, you want some immediate decrease in that calcium level for those severe hypercalcemia, this is a great time to use calcitonin, uh, which will decrease your calcium uh, not as much as a bisphosphonate, but quicker than a bisphosphonate because it will work right away. Now, calcitonin, because of it, because of tachyphylaxis, will only be effective for, for maybe 48 hours. So for these patients with severe hypercalcemia, corrected calcium above 14, 14.4, 14.5, give them IV fluids, uh, you give them the bisphosphonate, which is not going to really kick in for a couple days, which means you can give your calcitonin for 48 hours to get that calcium under control pretty quickly. And by the time you need to stop the calcitonin because it won't work after 48 hours, your bisphosphonate will be kicking in uh, along those same times. Um, you could use denosumab in place of, of uh, your bisphosphonate if you're really worried about nephrotoxicity. It's more, it's more expensive, um, but you know you probably don't need to um, unless unless it's really severe uh, nephrotoxicity. You know, like I said, with IV fluids and extended infusion of papitronate, these folks uh, in our experience tend to do pretty well with uh, uh, with bisphosphonates. I think that's it. I think, yeah, I made it in just under 10 minutes uh, talking about hypercalcemia malignancy in under 10. Um, thank you for listening. And um, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib. You can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Four milligrams of zoledronic acid, 30, 60, 90 per minute date. You know, if you really worried about the nephrotoxicity of these drugs, you don't have to give 90. Give 60 in these folks. All right. See you next week. Thank you.